Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Yes, Lord! Well, happy Resurrection Day, Overflow Church! I gotta tell you, as I am starting... That is the way a resurrected church sounds in worship. That's the way it's supposed to be. Listen, you guys even confused my watch. It's like, it looks like you're recording an outdoor run, is what it told me during the middle of worship. Yeah, we're doing a Jericho march. That's what we're doing. I got to tell you, I woke up early this morning with such anticipation in my heart. It was like Christmas morning, and I just couldn't go back to sleep. And I was like, just, just looking at all of the realities of what the resurrection means in our everyday life. And as I've been thinking these last weeks about leading up to this resurrection day, this celebration that we have, I asked myself the question, how in the world am I going to share everything that is on my heart to share about everything that changes because of the resurrection? The disciple John said that if we were to try to write down everything that happened just in the three years of Jesus' life, there's not enough books in the world to contain it all. We're never going to be able to get over it. And listen, here's the difference between what I felt this morning and Christmas morning. When I get up on Christmas morning at 12 o'clock, the day is over and we wait till next year. But when you wake up on Resurrection Day, you realize that yesterday was Resurrection Day and today is Resurrection Day and tomorrow is Resurrection Day forever and ever and ever. Amen. So this is what I find. Maybe you came in this morning and felt something was different in the air. You feel that? On these Sundays, something feels different. I want to let you know what that is. See, nothing has changed about the power of the resurrection. It's always on. The difference was our corporate expectancy, that we came as a global family of humanity, all looking at the same target and remembering the same truth. And when we have expectancy in a region, things change. That's why we've been coming together as the church of Tampa Bay quarterly for these two gather gatherings, because we find that when we focus on the unchanging nature of who God is and what he does, it's our expectancy that lifts, and then we see a different fruit on earth. So as I was thinking about this morning, I was like, how am I going to share it all? And then it came to me. We're going to be here for the next 40 days. No, what came to me. (laughs) Those last laughs were people that were like, he could. He could probably do that. (laughs) What came to me was 
this popular new method I'm watching in communication. You'll see it from companies, and you'll even watch it from communicators. When they have something that's urgent, and they want you to get all of it, they want you to get the full nuance, they want you to get all the chapters and all the pieces, what they'll do is they'll send you this really long email or this really long video, and somewhere at the beginning or the end, you'll see these four letters, T-L-D-R, too long, didn't read. And then the TLDR will have a one-sentence statement to say, hey, if you want to get the big picture, if you want to boil it down, why it's worth your time to get into all the nuance, TLDR, here it is. And I just got to tell you something, as a communicator, that hurts, man. <laughs> because I care so deeply about the nuance and all of the details, but I want to tell you that I also get it. Sometimes in the midst of a lot of noise, what we need is for somebody to boil it down for us, to remove all the noise, to step in and say, hey, TLDR, in the midst of your moment, you need just a moment to focus on the truth right now. And so I want to give you just a few as we start this morning, TLDRs of what the big deal of Resurrection Sunday is about. TLDR, why it's such a big deal that Jesus came out of the grave. And for some of you, this is what you can use with people in your life. For some of you, maybe you're new to the faith, or you don't even know where you stand in the faith, and you want to know what's the big deal of this morning that all of these crazy people are dancing about. I want to give you just a few. What's Resurrection Sunday about? TLDR, here it is. Death doesn't get the final word. You want to know what it's about? You want to boil it down? Death doesn't get the final word. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to get what this is saying. It says that we have a problem, humanity, and it's a two-point problem. One, the sting of death is sin. And two, the sting of sin is the law. And he said, you want to know the big deal? It's this, that he who knew no sin became sin for you. Sin is no longer the problem. And this Jesus came and fulfilled the law, writing a new law in your heart, in your mind, that you can live alone by love. What does it mean? That death doesn't get the final word. You are now invited scandalously to live. So maybe this morning you're at a place where life is breaking your heart. And I want to tell you, if you're facing things that break your heart, my word for you this morning is take heart. You will see that the valley of the shadow of death is just a shadow, and the substance named Jesus has conquered death and sin and is in the process of raising all things to life. <laughs> TLDR, death doesn't get the final word. I want us to activate it. Put your hand on your heart right now. Say this. Say, hey, heart. Yeah. He's making all things new. Death doesn't get the final word. Oh, that's good, but it's not good enough. What is Resurrection Sunday about a second one? TLDR, it's this. You ready? Darkness has never won a battle once light entered the room. You want to know the truth of this morning, the truth of every day? Darkness has never, somebody say never. Never, never won a battle. They're like the rays. We've never lost, right? Light has never lost. Now, here's the deal. At some point for the rays this season, I'm sorry, y'all. It's probably going to happen. <laughs> Just want to say, if we could have as much faith in Jesus as we do in our sports teams. <laughs> Darkness has never won a battle once light entered the room. Look at this. 
John chapter 1, it says, In him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not ever overcome it. Jesus is light. And he's not just light, he's light to all mankind. What does that mean? It means the near, the far, the high class, the low class, the no class. He's the light of the world. And here's this beautiful thing about light. I want you to try this later. Enter into a dark room, okay? When you enter into a dark room, this is what you'll find about darkness. It is powerless once light enters the room. When you walk into a dark room and you flip that light switch, right? You burn that half a calorie to flip the light switch. There's been no effort. There's been no war. And darkness is gone. TLDR. The light has come and darkness cannot overcome it. I want you to lay your hand on your heart right now and say this. The darkness around me is no match for the light within me. Oh, that was too good. We got to say it again now that you know that I'm not tricking you in what I actually told you to say. Hand on your heart. The darkness around me is no match for the light within me. What is Resurrection Sunday about? TLDR. Hope will never be lost if you are found. Hope will never be lost if you are found. First Peter chapter 1, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. What's he saying? First of all, praise the Father because his great mercy Mercy did this. I want to remind you three words on Good Friday. It is finished. It's done. And it can't be undone. You've been reborn and you can't be unborn. The result is if you are in Christ. Anybody in Christ this morning? A quarter of the room is in Christ this morning. Is anybody in Christ this morning? This is what he says then. Listen. Then living hope has been stored up within you that can't perish or spoil or fade. Listen, some of you have been leaving it on the shelf, but you need to know it has no expiration date. It's time to take it down. In fact, this passage, if you go on, I pray you will this week, go continue studying this chapter in 1 Peter. And what you'll see is it says this. It says that this hope is being stored in heaven for you, but actually we can experience it today on earth through our faith. Anybody know what faith is? Faith is the tension between what God says and what you think your eyes see. So listen to me. Hope is being stored in heaven today, but it's ready to be released on earth through faith. What is faith? It's the tension between what God says and what you think your eyes see. And at any place that you step into that moment, that tension, that pain, and you say, you know what, I'm just going to lean in right here. I don't think I have it figured out. I don't have the sin of certainty. I don't know how it all works. But I'm no longer going to simply trust what I think my eyes see. I'm going to say there's more to the story because my God is good, and I'm believing there's something on the shelf right now that needs to be taken down. I'm going to stay in this place and say, eyes, I don't trust you. King, help me to trust you. And he says that then we find this, that hope, no matter what your circumstances, will never be lost if you are found the end of this passage. And Peter says this, because of this, who did it? The Father. Anybody in Christ? Yes, that means it's done for you. He says, because of this, we are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Does anybody want inexpressible and glorious joy this morning? 
So let's activate it. Hand on your heart. I want you to say this. I won't let my trials define me. Yay, this time we're going to say it like we're actually getting ready to go into the game and we believe we're going to win. I'm done letting my trials define me. There's the church. I will let my God refine me. And I invite joy to realign me. Y'all, that rhymes. It's got to be God. I'm done letting my trials define me. Right. I'm ready to let my God refine me. And from this day, I'm going to let joy realign me. With your hand on your heart, would you say, Joy, I invite you in. I invite you in. And I invite you out. Man, it's good. What's Resurrection Sunday about? The last one I want to give you is this. And by the way, you're like, last one? He's already done. This is just the introduction, y'all. Here we go. The last one this is about. What is Resurrection Sunday about? TLDR. The schemes against you are as empty as the tomb Jesus walked out of. Come on, somebody. What do you need to know today? The schemes set against you are as empty as the tomb Jesus walked out of. I want to tell you one of my least favorite pieces of theology that I've ever heard. It says this, well, I'm being faithful to God, so you know the devil's got a target on my back. I think there's a problem with that. Is giving the devil way too much credit and Jesus not nearly enough? This is what I want to say. When I read my Bible, I find out there is a battle, but we're on offense. We have the ball. We are pushing against the gates of hell. Gates don't move. Children do. We are pushing them down. There's not a target on your back. There's a target on the gates of hell. The enemy is a scumbag 24-7. He is not like the bad guy in the movies that stops to monologue for a minute. So what you need to know is this. Whatever he's getting on you right now is the maximum that he can get on you because he's just wicked. He's just evil. That's just what he does. But the reality is if you would have eyes to see today, you would realize that his schemes against you or anybody else's schemes against you are as empty as the tomb Jesus walked out of. Listen to this from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Bible students, I get excited about this because he gives a quadruple expectancy right here in this verse. He says this, I eagerly expect and I hope that in no way, what does it mean? If you were in Christ, there are no exceptions. It's done. It's finished. And then what does he say? What does he say? I know eagerly is completely true. No matter what my eyes say, no matter what my boss says, no matter what that difficult family member is putting me through. No, I'm not recording a run. Um, no matter what's going on, what do I know? You ready? He says this, to live is Christ. Anybody alive in the room right now? Yeah. Listen, he says you want to know the definition of real life. You ready? The definition of real life is unhindered and completely unbroken union and intimacy with Christ. He said, what's my hope? What is it I breathe in? That any feeling of separation is only an illusion. Somebody needs to realize that this morning. In Christ, separation is only an illusion. He says, why do I live? Because regardless of how I'm doing or how they're doing, to live is Christ. I'm knit with him, united completely, and he's never going to let me go. He's interlocked his fingers around me. I'm being held in steadfast love. And then he goes further and he says this, and die? All the stuff that could attack me, all the stuff that I'm stressing to lose, he goes, to die is gain. 
Everything I lose is just taking me a step closer to where I see the reality that's already happened in my spirit, that forever I am with him. The schemes set against you are as empty as the tomb Jesus stepped out of. So somebody right now, hand on your heart, say this, say heart. Stop being restless. restless. He's got you. you. Say the scheme against me is being silenced by the Savior within me. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. What is the picture of Resurrection Sunday? Really, all of it boils down to this. You ready? That Jesus' resurrection came to usher in yours. Jesus' resurrection came to usher in yours, which leaves you and I with a question this morning. What is it that needs to be resurrected in our lives? I want to look for just a few minutes in Matthew chapter 8 this morning as we watch Jesus walk and heal, and resurrect from four very distinct different places. I want to tell you that at least one of these is going to be true in your life, in your hometown right now, and maybe all four of them. It's places that Jesus comes to meet us, and places that right now he wants to resurrect. And before we're done this morning, we're going to give an altar call that if one of these, if something resonates and you go, oh, that's true, this is what I'm going to ask, we're not merely going to think about it, we're going to act on it. So this morning, if you've walked in and you said, yeah, there's a separation there. Yeah, there's a lack of breathing gear. Yeah, I'm not alive there. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive from the Lord. Does that sound good? Okay. Three people sounds good, too. The rest of you, you're giving me grace. Here we go. Four places Jesus is ready to resurrect. He's ready to resurrect the things in our life that we have called unclean. He's ready to resurrect us from our unclean. And when we talk about this, I'm going to say this is our perception of ourselves. Matthew 8 starts this way. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds were following him. Now, he had just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and so now he's going to put it into practice. And it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And Jesus said to him, see, you don't tell anyone else, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, I want you to note with this first person that what they were suffering from was leprosy. They were a leper. In the New Testament, this word leper was any number of skin diseases that were normally very painful and very obvious that you would see. It's like the book of Job where you see boils upon his skin that left him in unimaginable pain and everybody looked from a far way away and saw literally his struggle and his infirmity. But that wasn't the worst part of being a leper. See, if you were a leper, it was believed that what you were actually suffering was something in a present struggle or a past sin that you refused to lay down. What it was believed if you were a leper is that you were receiving the judgment that was due you for where you'd been unfaithful to God. So for the Israelite people, they had this theology that said all of God's people, all of the in, they live in the city. And then they had walls around the city. And they said if you go outside of the walls of the city, that's the picture of going outside of the reach of God's grace. That's why Jesus was crucified as a criminal outside of the city. They said, we're giving you up as outside. Guess where the lepers had to live? They lived in a colony together outside of the city. You're compromisers that have been forgotten by God. But that wasn't the worst part. When they had to come into the city to conduct business, the minute they crossed the threshold of the city gate, they had to shout all the way down the street, unclean, unclean. Unclean, unclean. 
so that anybody else that was acceptable to God could have enough of a buffer to get away from them. They literally shouted their scarlet letter everywhere they went. To be a leper was to believe you had been forgotten by God. To be a leper was to believe that something was deeply broken in your life, that you were a burden or you were a plague that couldn't get too, touch, too close to touch anyone around you. But I want you to note something about the story. When the leper shows up, it says that he's so desperate that he's actually broken the law because he's come in close to where Jesus is and he's not shouting unclean. It says that he sneaks up and he kneels and I believe that he whispers. He says, hey, Jesus, I'm just going to take the last risk I know how to take here. I can't imagine how in the world this would be true, but if somehow you're willing, if somehow you're willing, see that word willing, it means to delight, to take pleasure in. He said, Jesus, I stopped taking pleasure in myself a long time ago. I stopped delighting in me a long time ago, and everybody else has written me off. But I'm not shouting right now. I'm on my knees before you because I'm believing maybe somehow you might be willing. And I know this, that if you were, if you touched me, I'd be well. And it's amazing what happens next because it says this. It says, Jesus stretched out and he touched the man. In Greek, this word stretched out, it's the word they would use when an anchor was thrown down. And an anchor, if you ever see a boat that you throw down or a ship they throw down, you have the anchor thrown down and then you have the cord that is attaching the anchor to the ship. And it's the tension that comes in that anchor is what it meant to stretch. It means that you plant your feet and you reach as far as you possibly can. That eagerly Jesus reached out. But listen, there was a risk in what Jesus was going to do. Because the minute you touch something unclean, especially as a rabbi, you yourself would become unclean and suffer the same fate. Except there's something different about the touch of Jesus from anybody else's touch on the planet. You see, when Jesus touches things, he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. And so Jesus touched this man that in his perception said, I'm unclean, I'm shameless, I'm too far, I'm written off. And in a moment, he was miraculously healed. Man, I can't wait to see that scene replay in heaven. But there's one more detail in the story that I love. Right after that, Jesus says something fascinating. He says, don't go tell anybody else what I want you to do. Make a beeline right now. I want you to go to the priest and show him. Because what Jesus wanted, listen, was not just right standing between him and his father, but he wanted to restore him to his honored place in his community. I want to say something. We've reached the season where it's time for the body of Christ to look like Christ. It's time for the body of Christ to look like Christ, to go to people who call themselves far off from God and to extend ourselves out as far as we possibly can to see Jesus come into their life and to lift them up and to restore them to their right place in the community. Jesus came to resurrect us from our unclean. So the first question is this. What is it in your life? What view of yourself do you hold that doesn't align with what God says? We can be our own worst enemies. We curse ourselves in the mirror more than anybody else ever possibly could. In just a minute, we're going to talk about what the unclean is, and we're going to watch for some people. Listen, you came in with it, and you're walking out without it. Jesus came to resurrect you from your unclean. But there's a second. He continues on. Jesus came to resurrect us from our far off. This is dealing with our struggles. The story continues in Matthew 8. It says this. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. 
And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, this word centurion in the Bible, it means an officer in the Roman army. I want you to remember that during this day, Rome had come into Israel, into the people of God, and they were subjugating them. They were a cruel kingdom that were making them do what they wanted to do. So for a good Jewish person who believed there was only one kingdom, the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of Rome, to be a centurion was an example of being very successful in the system of the world of oppressing others. He was a moral compromiser and really good at it. And I want you to notice everything about this story is about being far off. First of all, he's a foreigner that has come from a far distance. He's physically far away. Second, as far as an affiliation, they would look at this man and say, he does not even deserve to be outside of our city. He's not part of our city at all. He's even further out than the leper from deserving grace. He's not one of us. But would you note the healing? The healing takes place. From far off. He says with just a word, Jesus, you could do this. And so this is what I want to ask right now. Where is it in your life that you have something that you feel is too far off from deserving grace? This is what I mean. You keep getting up every day and coming up with your plans of all you need to do to finally be worthy of God's grace. You keep coming up with all of your plans. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fix that. And you've gotten to the place where you've tried it over and over and over again. Come on, anybody relate with that? That you get to the place that over and over and over again, it's going to be different this time, it's going to be different this time, it's going to be different this time. And right now you're crying out and saying, you know what? If I could stop fighting and he could just say the word this morning, maybe I could see something resurrect and change. In just a minute, we're going to do that. The third we see is this. What does Jesus come to resurrect in our life? He comes to resurrect our nearest and our dearest. I believe this is talking about our dreams. The story shifts here. And now Jesus comes into the home of his core disciple, Peter. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all their sick. I want you to notice the shift in the story where this is taking place. They are now in Peter's house, and Peter's mama is suffering. Now, I want to tell you, I know in our culture there's lots of people that love to throw out mother-in-law jokes. I want to tell you, honestly, I've never understood a mother-in-law joke in the planet. I've got the most wonderful mother-in-law sitting right here with us, living with our family. She is a treasure and a gem. And I have to tell you something. When I watch her suffer or I watch her hurt, I can't be okay because I love her. See, what's happening now is this isn't about some leper outside the city or some stranger far away. No, Jesus has brought all of the narrative home. Now you have Peter, who's the central disciple, and what matters most to him is hurting. But maybe you missed the rest of the story. After he heals Peter's mother-in-law, she gets up, and then you read this. It says that all of these people came from all around, right? The sick and the demon-possessed, and he drove out spirits. But did you ever stop to realize where they were? These were all of the people who lived around Peter's house. This was his community. These are the people he grew up with. These were his co-workers, his friends, his neighbors, his extended family, his community. This was Peter's world. 
It was what mattered to him. So can I ask a question this morning? What's near to your heart? What is it you spend all of your time worrying about? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a dream that you have within you and you just keep hoping it's going to come together. You see, at this point, what Jesus is talking about resurrecting is something that is very close to home. What dreams take up real estate in your heart that you need to invite Jesus into your home to come and resurrect? We're going to do that in just a minute. But there's one more, the end of this story, and then a crucial decision we have to make. The last one is this. We see that Jesus came, and first Jesus came to heal our unclean. He came to heal our far off. He came to heal our nearest and our dearest, but ultimately Jesus came to heal are hopeless. He came to heal our deepest wounds. And the story ends in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 8 like this. It says, when Jesus arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs and met him. They were so violent, no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. And so they went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. I find it humorous that the big headline for them was what happened to the pigs. <laughs> Says something about our treasures, doesn't it? It says, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. See, the picture that we have here is hopelessness. These are ones that are so far gone, we've run out of any other reform plan. In fact, they said to these men, you're dead to us. That's why they sent them to live in the tombs. They said, as far as we're concerned, you're completely dead. We'll have nothing to do with you. We're going to put you in a part of the city that we'll never cross, we'll never traverse, because you're too violent, you're too fierce, you're too far gone. Can I ask a question? What wound in your life feels like it's hopeless? What person is it that you find that you've tried to forgive over and over and over again? Maybe it's a wound of something you did to yourself that you can't let go of, or maybe it's a wound of something somebody else did to you, but you find that your life is constantly controlled by the drama of what everybody else does. And you've heard the messages, and you've come to the altar calls, and you've read the books, and you've tried the 12-step plans, and you feel that it's completely hopeless, and what you desperately need is for Jesus to lay a hand on you and take away the thing that is hopeless so that you could breathe again and be back in your right mind. You see, Jesus came to resurrect all of that. Can we find ourselves somewhere in that story this morning? But here's the key. Resurrection only comes after death. Resurrection only comes after we die to our rights to lead our lives. Somebody hear me this morning. Resurrection only comes after we die to our rights to lead our lives. 
And that's why in the midst of this chapter, between all of those healing stories that I just shared, right in the middle of them, Jesus stops with an aside as if to say, hey, everything else you're going to read is about this. It all centers on this. I don't care if your struggle is that you're unclean or if you're far off. I don't care if you've reached a place that you completely feel helpless and hopeless or if it's what's closest to your home that you need, I'm ready to resurrect it all. But listen, resurrection doesn't come until we die to our rights to lead our lives. In the middle of the chapter, Jesus is encountered with these two men that come to him. One, a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you everywhere you go. That sounds good, right? It sounds like orthodoxy, right? It sounds amazing, right? It sounds like what we'd expect to hear in church. Except there's a problem. These two men we're going to read never actually followed Jesus. Jesus replied to them, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple came and said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Maybe you're like me and the first time you've read that or heard that or that's the first time you're hearing it, you're like, gosh, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus. But I want you to hear what's going on. See, these are two people in the middle of all of it that said, and I'm pretty sure right now, if I said, who right now wants resurrection of something dead in your life? I could walk not only in this room, but any room in America and ask that question. And really, it's not if we want resurrection, it's if we believe it can come. Right? I can walk in any room of any creed and say, who wants dead stuff resurrected? And I would be like Oprah. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody's hands would shoot up. There's all kinds of people running and saying, yeah, I'll have resurrection. But listen, these two guys, they wanted resurrection with conditions. The first one presumably wanted the comfort and the predictability that he was accustomed to. So Jesus had to tell him, listen, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to take you to places physically and emotionally that are lonely. And sometimes it's going to be just me and you. If you follow me, it's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost the way some see your character. It could cost some relationships that you have within your family. If you follow me, I've got to become your home. And that's going to have to be enough. For the first disciple, it wasn't. He moved on. The second wanted resurrection, but he wanted the condition of shared allegiances. He wanted to define where and when he would be willing to follow. In fact, some scholars believe what he was actually saying was this. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. I simply want to wait until my father is dead because my father wouldn't agree with what I'm doing. And so what I'm actually trying to do is I want all of my inheritance. I don't want to screw with that. And once he's gone, then I want to follow you. I want to serve two kingdoms. And Jesus said it will never work that way. Where I'm calling you out from, your old life is dead, and it's time to let the dead bury their own dead. To follow Jesus means leaving our rights, leaving our reputation, leaving our comfort, leaving the illusion of control, which, by the way, if you didn't know, control is only illusion. You're not in control of anything. Some dads in the room, that'll give you a lot of peace if you just receive that. You're not, in, just have a kid, you'll find out. You're not in control of anything. The remote is not yours anymore. Following Jesus means leaving competing pursuits. But it's the only way that we're ever going to gain the breath that we were created for. And so I want to share just this final thought before we activate this. 
Matthew chapter 8 is written as one of the most beautiful things. You see four stories of healing. You see in the middle a crucial charge. But the story is written where at the bookends we see the two possible responses. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, we meet the leper. And at the end of Matthew chapter 8, we meet the city with the demoniac. And this is what we find. Jesus has come to resurrect you. It's going to cost everything. He's the treasure. He becomes your home. And there are two choices. You can either respond like the leper, Lord, I'll let you love me. Or you will respond like the city, Lord, I beg you to leave me. Lord, I'll let you love me. Or Lord, I beg you to leave me. But what we need to know this morning is the idea of I want to follow Jesus with my conditions does not exist. And it will never satisfy your heart. And so the question I want to ask us this morning, for a king that is ready to resurrect us from our shame, from our sin, from our worries, and from our wounds is very simple. Will you let him love you?